In episode 57 of the Guitar Music Theory podcast, I answer some email questions and I talk about playing the Star Spangled Banner. Greetings, guitar engineers. Welcome to the Guitar Music Theory Podcast. I am your host, Desi Serna. And as we approach Independence Day here in the United States, I thought it'd be a good time to talk a little bit about playing the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, made famous by Jimi Hendrix, of course, at Woodstock. I'm just going to talk about the very basics of the melody. There's a couple of uh, interesting things I'd like to point out about it. And it's also a good song for... Uh, practicing some ear training and getting to know the fretboard. So I'll be talking uh, about that later and answering some email questions as well. But before we get started, let me direct all of my podcast listeners over to my website, guitarmusictheory.com. Answer the questions I ask about your playing, and I will send you free custom video instruction calibrated to your current level. If you need to fill gaps in your playing, or you're wondering what you need to do to take your playing to the next level, I can help you for free. Go to guitarmusictheory.com. You should be able to click on the link in the podcast show notes. All right, so we're going to start with some email questions, and we'll get to the Star Spangled Banner afterwards. So this first question, I'm going to kind of paraphrase. Uh, so this person wrote to me and said that they've been playing for years. They were really interested in enhancing their skills um, and being more creative and writing music. And so they said that they were, they thought maybe they should learn how to read uh, music, like standard notation, or maybe they should learn music theory. And they were asking, what is my advice? So for someone who's a veteran player and, you know, you've got the needed playing skills, uh, but you'd like to be more creative or you'd like to be a better musician, uh, what's more valuable, learning music theory or learning uh, uh, standard notation? So my answer is I, there. there's definitely more value, I think, in, in uh, general music theory than there is reading notation, but there's still some value in notation. I'll talk about that. First of all, when I talk about theory, <clears throat> keep in mind that as a guitar player and as a guitar teacher, I'm talking about understanding music from a guitar player's perspective. So I'm not necessarily talking about um, kind of traditional formal theory that would typically be learned in piano lessons or if you were uh, you know, studying standard notation or you were an orchestra orchestra player <clears throat> or something like that. That particular type of theory is just not going to be as it's not going to be very valuable to a guitar player. It's not going to do much to help you, um, you know, enhance your skills or your um, composition abilities. But what you do want to learn is the type of quote theory that I teach in like my fretboard theory uh, books or guitar theory for dummies. And of course, I have the full blown fretboard theory video course on my website. That's the most comprehensive uh, music theory instruction I have. So in that program, I teach things like um, the harmonized scale, you know, how you harmonize the, um, the uh, I should be playing, shouldn't I? Let me grab a guitar here. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> you know, you want to understand the construction of the major scale. 
that's where intervals come from. You want to understand how those notes are stacked. To play the harmonized scale. That's where we get the number system. That's how you learn how... <clears throat> Excuse me. That's how you learn how chords are related and how they fit together to play common progressions like, you know, one, four, five. Or, uh, whoa, drop the pick. Where did it go? There it is. Or, you know, one, five, six, four. That's super valuable stuff. You want to understand how chords are built on the fretboard. How do you add chord tones and extensions? How do you play like a A sus two or an A sus four? You know that sort of stuff. This is this is the sort of stuff that's really going to help you understand what's happening in you know popular uh, styles of music. And of course, you don't just want to understand that theor theoretically in in words. You want to understand how. Uh, it translates into shapes and patterns on the fretboard and how stuff uh, uh, connects. So, um, you know, which scales are used to play melodies and riffs and solos and that sort of thing. So uh, th that is absolutely going to help you enhance your skills and particularly learn uh, how to be more uh, creative, particularly if you follow my instruction, if you're in one of my programs and you've, you, you, uh, you learn musical concepts, but then you actually learn how to play portions of songs that make use of that musical uh, concept. So if you learn the number system, for example, I have lists of songs and links to resources where you can play through songs that make use of that number system. And that's really when things really start to stick and make sense because all of a sudden music that you've heard, you know, your whole life that's very familiar to you, now you kind of understand its underlying structure. So you're you're hearing something familiar, but you're connecting it to uh, the theory and you just, you understand it in a, a different way. And that's how you can be more creative then because when you sit down to write music, instead of just looking at a blank canvas, you kind of have all of these templates that you can kind of choose from uh, and build and build on. So, um, <clears throat> uh, and you know, if you learn a scale or something like that, learn how to play some of the riffs that I reference, so you can see how that scale gets used um, musically. So, uh, music theory is absolutely going to help you. Make sure, by the way, I'm assuming since this person said that they've been playing for years, that they have no trouble playing and they can play songs. So for those of you that are listening and you're like, yeah, this music theory stuff sounds fascinating, but you yet you don't yet have uh, the skills to pick up your guitar and strum along with a simple song like Brown Eyed Girl or something. If you can't strum along using basic chords with entire songs beginning to end and, and stay in time with the music like you're part of the band, then you need to hold off on the theory and work on those skills. I got some stuff on the website to help you. So head over there. So <clears throat> assuming that um, you've got your essential guitar skills in order, uh, music theory would be a great thing to uh, study. But let's talk about uh, reading standard notation and its benefits. So as I mentioned, you know, just a moment ago, reading music is less beneficial for guitar players. Um, you know, it's just uh, it's not something that really works well on the instrument, it's kind of the nature of the guitar, um, you know, standard notation. Guitar players typically prefer tablature 
chord diagrams, that sort of thing, because it just makes more sense. The fretboard's a grid, so it's just a lot easier to um, to learn things from tablature. It's a lot easier to visualize chord shapes and stuff uh, by looking at a chord chart. When you when you're looking at notes illustrated notes in standard notation, a guitar player has to take that information and kind of like translate it into how a guitar player would think. You know, you gotta figure out how it works on the on the fretboard. Um, so for that reason, you know, n notation is just uh, it's just not it just doesn't work as well on guitar. And maybe you never thought about this, but if you're playing piano, and let's say that um, the notation has an E. There is only one key on the piano that's going to give you that particular pitch for E. On the guitar, though, I can play that E as the first string open, or the second string, fifth fret, or the third string, uh, ninth fret, or the fourth string, 14th fret, or the fifth string, 19th fret. If I had 24 frets on this guitar, I could play it again. So uh, when you see E in notation as a guitar player, where should you be playing it? Well, it depends. What, you know, what's, what's being played with it? Is it stacked with some other notes? You know? And if so, you have to look at the other notes that are stacked in there, and you have to figure out where you would be able to uh, fret those notes simultaneously on the fretboard because... You know, sometimes we have to jump to a different position. So in other words, if if the let's say you're looking at music and the notes were E and G sharp. Well, if you play E as the first string open. OK. OK. Where's the G sharp going to go? Whoops. OK. You're going to have to play the, the E on the second string, fifth fret. OK. Now you can play the G sharp on the first string, fourth fret. You know, or maybe you want to do those same notes on other strings in a different position because of some other note that is also in there or because of some note you go to after that. So all this to say, when guitar players do use notation, it requires more work on our part to figure out how that's how that can actually be played on guitar. And so this is why, you know, notation just has is not something that guitar players will regularly rely on. Even classical guitar players, classical music uh, will often be notated, but uh, uh, classical guitar players typically don't perform by reading notation the same way that you would see a pianist or an orchestra player perform. And that's got to be due in part to the fact that there's too much work that's required to uh, figure out all the positions and fingerings to make the music happen on guitar. It's not something that a guitar player can just read on the fly and do. So <clears throat> anyway, with that said, there is still value in learning how to read standard notation, just the basics at least. It's good to know like, you know, how music is is broken up into measures or bars. It's good to understand time signatures. What does 4-4 four, four mean? What does 3-4 mean? What about 6-8? What about 12-8? You know, these are different ways that we would uh, <clears throat> count um, music. And this is helpful, whether you're reading notation or not, just to understand how uh, music is counted, how note values are subdivided. It's good to understand what quarter notes and eighth notes and triplets and sixteenths and um, are. It's, it's good to understand how to count those uh, 
rhythms out just to sharpen your rhythm. And, and so you can be on the same page with other musicians. If you're jamming in a band and you're not using notation, which is you know pretty standard that you wouldn't use it, but you still want to be able to communicate with the other musicians and you know say, okay, well, this song is in you know, four, four time. And, you know, we come in on the, uh, on the end of beat four here and there's a break on beat two, like s- simple stuff like that. Musicians, all musicians are, are expected to know that sort of thing and understand, uh, you know, that language. You can get to know key signatures a little bit just so you understand, um, <clears throat> keys and the notes that are, um, uh, in different keys. And then of course, <clears throat> uh, if you learn, you know, the basics of standard notation, it'll help you if you're, uh, it'll help you when you're in those situations where you might need to read notation. And, you know, I've been playing for decades and I'm going to tell you that I am not often asked to read notation. Um, maybe if I had experience doing other things, like maybe if I was, you know, playing in a, I don't know, a Broadway band or something and, I was part of a band that was accompanying an orchestra or something. Maybe there were, there might be more expectation that I'd be able to, you know, <clears throat> read some standard notation parts on the fly. Um, typically, when I am called to read notation, it's something super simple. Or I'm not necessarily called to read the notation, but I am called to play on a particular song. And I might take a look at the notation and work out some parts just to understand maybe what the melody is or something like that, because I want to do, you know, play a portion of it on the, on the guitar. But more common than standard notation is uh, guitar players getting handed something like a rhythm chart, uh, which would just um, kind of give you the basic chord changes and structure of the song and maybe a couple notated things here and there, if it were critical that the guitar, you know, played a, um, a specific melody at some point. Um, or oftentimes there might be just rhythmic notation just to let the band know that, hey, the whole band plays this unison rhythm figure here and then everyone breaks on this beat. And then you just continue after that and you comp your own um, parts filling in here and there. So reading a chart like that <clears throat> um, might require some sight reading skills but moreover, it just kind of requires just that you understand how to follow the form of a song and, and that uh, sort of thing. So there is some benefit to reading notation. I wouldn't recommend that any guitar player get into it um, until after. I, I, would, I think it's best to learn how to play first. Just learn how to play simple songs, songs with basic chords, that sort of thing. Learn a little bit of theory. Get to know why the chords go together. Get to know what scale pattern you're playing in, that sort of thing. Um, All along the way, as you're playing songs, you should also be working on your timing and your rhythm and your strum patterns and all of that stuff. And, you know, then at some point you can say, yeah, I might pick up an old-fashioned Mel Bay book or something like that and just, you know, learn learn the basics of sight reading. You know, that might not, that might not, that might not be a bad thing to do at that point after you've learned how to play. I typically don't emphasize it much in my lessons because, again, it's not something that's really going to help you play better. Um, you know, if you take two, gu- two guitar players and one focuses his time on learning standard notation and the other focuses his, his time on learning popular guitar songs, assuming they are both, you know, e- have equal potential, the person that learned the 
guitar songs is going to play circles around the person that's been had his nose in a sight reading book all day. So if your goal is to play in the style of popular songs, start working on those popular songs. But after you've learned that, you could try learning some notation. And another exception would be if you happen to like reading standard notation, then go for it. Most guitar players don't like it. In fact, most guitar players hate it. But maybe you enjoy it. And so you're a beginner and you're learning the old-fashioned way in a Mel Bay book, but you're having a ball and you enjoy it. If that's the case, then stick with it. Typically, people don't like that, but every once in a while, I used to have a student that really liked that. Sometimes they they had a musical background. You know, they played saxophone for years, so um, they liked reading music and they loved seeing how it connected with guitar, you know. But... With those students, at some point, I had to say, okay, you're doing well with this. However, if you really want to learn how to play guitar, you need to put that music aside and you need to focus on the fretboard and just learn how to play in the style of popular songs. I don't think that learning how to read standard notation is going to be all that helpful if you're trying to be creative. If you're trying to, you know, learn how to make, you know, write your own songs or come up with melodies or improvise your own solos knowing how to read standard notation, it might be a skill that you use as you do something else to improve your creativity, like learning songs. But the the fact that you know notation, I I don't know how to read notation. I don't think that's necessarily going to make you more creative. You'll learn how to be more creative by learning a bunch of songs that has guitar parts that you want to play. So if you want to be a more creative guitar soloist, learn a bunch of guitar solos, that you really love, analyze them, figure out what key they're in, how they relate to the chords, what the scale is, memorize those licks and phrases so it becomes your own vocabulary, and then learn how to repurpose those licks and phrases in your own uh, improvisation. If you are a songwriter and you're more interested in like chords and chord progressions and song structure, learn songs that you're a fan of, analyze them, and then... uh, practice writing songs that make use of those same elements. In fact, I'm seeing my next question here, which is actually a little bit of some correspondence I had with someone where they were saying that their playing was doing fine, but they just were dissatisfied with their solos and the lack of creativity. And so I, um, you know, explained to this person, well, go out before you start improvising with no vocabulary, go out and learn some songs, some solos and, you know, Uh, develop a vocabulary. So finally, this person followed up with me and said, yes, that's exactly what I needed to do. That was a gap in my learning. I had been learning many song covers, but I didn't learn the solos. Every time the solo spot came up, I just thought, well, that's my opportunity to improvise. Uh, So he says, now what I'm doing is I'm actually learning the solos and I'm analyzing them. And then I uh, will practice altering them. And uh, so I can play in my own style. Yes, exactly. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. So you are on the right track there. And I I also followed up with them and said, if at some point you want to book a Skype lesson with me and have an, uh, so I can walk you through different ways that you can um, repurpose licks and begin to improvise based on your vocabulary, I would love to do that. And I certainly have a lot of experience that can help you help you do that if you're not if you've learned solos, but you're not really sure how to take the next step then to improvise with those ideas. 
um, that's something that I could help you personally with. In a Skype lesson, just go to guitarmusictheory.com, and in the menu, you'll see a link to book a Skype lesson, or we can connect on Zoom or any video platform that you like to use, and we can go over soloing or anything you want to do. Uh, we can go over, the, over that together. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, moving on to the next question. So, you know, I've got some instruction on my website where I show you how to play a bunch of, like, pop rock songs uh, and how you can make use of basic chords. Like, how do you use G, C, D, and E minor in familiar songs like, you know, Brown Eyed Girl or Wonderful Tonight? And how do you use power chords and, and stuff like, you know, maybe a song by Weezer or Nirvana or something like that? So a lot of times people will email me and they'll say, yeah, so I've seen that instruction. I like the ideas. That's really cool. And then they're, but, but um, I want to play in this style or my goal is to play this style. And this particular person, uh, Patricia, says that she actually wants to learn how to play contemporary Christian songs so she can uh, help lead worship at her church. And she's saying, so should I still practice those types of songs or should I be working on something else? So here's the deal. If you are a beginner guitar player or you know, what it, wherever you think you are, maybe you think you're an intermediate, but you do not have much experience playing complete songs. You don't really have the skills and the timing to, to play complete songs. You have to learn how to play complete songs. And you've got to start with the type of simple song examples that I um, that I give. So contemporary Christian music is still guitar music. It still uses open chords and power power chords and bar chords uses the same scale patterns and many of the same composition techniques that you would hear in, uh, um, you know, regular <clears throat> secular music. Uh, so I, so you still want to go through a similar program to get your skills in order so that you can then move on to something else, right? Um, so I would still recommend that you try some of the songs that I suggest, unless, like, you just absolutely loathe the songs. So... Um, you know, I did have a student once that just said, I just can't play that music. I don't like it. I don't want to play it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> In which case I said, I understand, you know, don't, don't force yourself to do it. I don't have anything right now uh, uh, that I could suggest to, but maybe in the future, this person was also someone that was trying to train themselves to play at church. And so maybe in the future, I might put together <clears throat> a similar plan for the beginner that would focus on, um, church music? I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see. But if you look at some of the su suggestions that I recommend and you're like, yeah, I don't mind that music. I'm familiar with that. It's, you know, it's all familiar rock songs. Then just go ahead and follow that type of program. Get your skills in order. And then you can say, okay, now you're ready to start taking a look at worship songs or taking a look at some other uh, style of music. Moving on, I got questions from someone named Neil about... Um, talking about different types of ear protection and what I would suggest. And he talked a little bit about 
playing with some other musicians and he plays in a band and how they are just loud, which is pretty typical. You know, when you start getting a drummer playing real drums and the guitar player is turning up his amp because the drums and cymbals are so loud, then the bass player turns up his bass because the drums and the guitar are so loud and the other guitar player turns up his guitar ramp because everyone else is so loud and then the singer can't hear themselves so they want the monitors turned up and it just becomes this constant battle where everybody's turning up and turning up and turning up and it can be very loud. Even if you're in a situation where you're trying to uh, be careful with your sound levels, you know, just standing next to a drummer playing real drums and cymbals with real sticks is loud, even when they're playing at, a, at an appropriate uh, level. So hearing, uh, hearing protection is, would be a great thing to do. Don't wait until it's too late and you suffer hearing loss and you say, oh, gosh, I, I should have protected my ears back then. So I played in <clears throat> bands for um, several years without wearing hearing protection, although we had a pretty... Um, pretty quiet stage volume compared to what you would typically hear. Um, I, I actually used to run sound from stage, so I was really strict with we're going to try to keep levels as low as possible. And uh, I played with a drummer who uh, was not overly loud. We actually used a partial electric, partial acoustic uh, kit. We, we mixed and matched some pieces to help us, actually to help us get uh, use less microphones on the drum kit so that we didn't have a bunch of sound bleeding into microphones on stage and muddying up our um, uh, mix. But I still remember, you know, at the end of the night, uh, leaving the gig after you played for three hours, you know, that my ears would be ringing. Um, so not, you know, after a few years of that, we started using in-ears, in-ear monitor systems, which were wonderful because then you get rid of the wedges and um, you can you know, block out everything. You can create your own mix so you can hear everything uh, clearly. They're great for singers because you can hear yourself uh, so well and you're not going to over-sing. You can tell when you're in pitch and that sort of thing. Of course, I was singing a lot in these bands because someone I had to sing some songs, and I just there was harmony parts on almost every song I had to sing. So that was really helpful. And I love the in ears, <clears throat> and uh, it definitely protected my hearing. I don't ever remember my ears ringing after using in ears. You got to be careful with in ears though, because you can turn in ears up too loud, and you can damage your ears. So I was just always. Um, uh, always trying to keep the level at a con at a controlled you know level when I was using the in-ears whenever I wanted to just turn them up a little bit more I remember what I used to do is I would set it at what I thought was a comfortable level and then I would back off a little bit because I knew I just I wanted to protect my my uh, hearing trouble with in-ear monitors though is that you are kind of cut off you know if you if your singer turns to you and says something and he's not talking into his microphone well then you got to read his lips because you can't hear him or if somebody in the audience is shout, screaming out a song they want you to play you're not going to be able to hear that request uh typically because it blocks everything out so some people don't like that that they kind of get cut off for a while there i used to place but in larger venues you know I mean, it's it was just kind of needed. I played some smaller venues for a while doing like solo things, and I would actually wear one in-ear monitor, and then the other ear, I left it out because I needed to kind of interact with the crowd. 
of course, you see that. You see singers and people fiddling with their in-ears all the time uh, in part because they want to hear the audience and they want to they interact or they want to at least know that, hey, the audience is cheering for me. But even if you're not using in-ears, if you're playing the old-fashioned way with real amps and drums and some wedge monitors and stuff, if it's getting noisy, you probably still want hearing protection. So, you know, you can go to Amazon and you can see that there's different types of uh, foam earplugs you can use, and they block out different amounts of sound. If you get the ones that protect your hearing the most, the trouble is they just block out too much and everything's, you know, muffled and sounds terrible, and that's just... Uh, that's no fun, but you can actually find, um, you, you can actually find, uh, uh, head, um, excuse me, earplugs that are designed to block damaging frequencies, but not completely, uh, block all frequencies. So I'm actually in my Amazon account here. So I purchased something called, they're called heroes earplugs and they're called high fidelity musician earplugs. High Fidelity Musician Earplugs by Heroes. Ultimate in comfort and hearing protection. Professional musicians, earplugs, noise-canceling earplugs, yada, yada, yada. For concerts, motorcyclists, loud events. And so, um, let's see. Our noise-canceling earplugs deliver flat attenuation so you hear music as it is intended but with elimination of up to 12 dB of potentially damaging sound. So they are definitely, they look a little bit different. You can check them out on Amazon. Um, they definitely are better. I actually wear these when I go to concerts too. When I go to concerts, I take these. Um, and so they don't muffle the sound as much as the typical foam earplugs. And so that just makes it more tolerable. You can protect your ears, but you can also hear a little bit better. So that's my suggestion. If you're playing in noisy situations, though, and if you're doing it regularly, well, even if you're not doing it regularly, it doesn't it's not something where you need to do it regularly in order to damage your ears. You could damage your ears in one night. So take care of your ears and wear some type of protection. All right, I'm going to cut the questions off there. <clears throat> But I've got more, and you can hear more answers to similar questions in upcoming podcast episodes. If you'd like to send me questions, email me, desi at guitarmusictheory.com, desi, D-E-S-I, at guitarmusictheory.com. Okay, so on to today's lesson. And let's see, let me get my sound here. Nope, that's not what I want. I am playing, uh, today I'm playing my Bluesman Vintage Guitars uh, 62 sedan. It's a Stratocaster type guitar. And I'm going to use a Marshall Plexi profile uh, from Top Jimmy. Not to be confused with Tone Junkie. They also make profiles. This is from Top Jimmy. It's the 68 uh, Plexi Marshall Super Lead amp, which is one of my favorites. And I made a video for the Star Spangled Banner. Where I just walk you through the basic melody. So nothing too fancy there. And you can find it on <clears throat> YouTube. And I even tabbed it out for you. In fact, why don't I go ahead and actually play it for you? Here is the Star Spangled Banner. It's in 3-4 time. Here we go. One, two. <laughs> 
right, so there it is. So, yeah, let's just talk about it. Um, I played in the key of E because that's the key that uh, Jimi Hendrix played it in at Woodstock, so I thought, let's do it in that key. Or actually, that's the position. He played as if he was in the key of E, but his guitars were tuned down a half step, so he was actually in E-flat tuning, so it sounds like... Uh, whoops. Sounds like E-flat, but we're going to play an E. So the melody is almost entirely in the major scale. And I am playing in what I teach as major scale pattern. What is this? Is this major scale pattern four? Um, it's, uh, I teach the major scales a couple different ways. So this will be one, two, major scale pattern three. This is actually my major scale pattern three. I get confused. You know, the numbers don't matter. It's like you might see, I've talked about this before. The numbers just indicate, here's the first pattern I'm going to show you, and then here's the next pattern I'm going to show you. And then we associate those numbers, one, two, and three, but they really don't mean anything. You would probably know this better as um, the C form. So I'm playing in between frets four and seven on the fretboard. I got my pinky on E at the seventh fret of the fifth string, and I'm playing a C form bar chord. So there's an E major chord. And I'm playing the major scale pattern that fits with that same chord shape. And I like to teach the uh, national anthem in this pattern because you can actually play the whole melody without leaving this position. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it's in the e, uh, e major scale, and you can play it in any key, but I'm playing it in E. Just like, and... Um, I like to think of the pattern fitting together with that E chord in C form because the melody makes use of the major chord arpeggio pattern quite a bit. So this first part of the melody is straight out of the chord. That's the major chord right there. So if you never realized that listening to it, I'm telling you now. So listen to that sound. Here's your root, third, fifth, root, and it actually starts descending five, three, one, and then it goes three, five, one. Right? Then after that, We've got a note that's outside of the scale. I'm playing an A sharp here. There should be an A natural in the scale. So why does that A sharp work? Well, it's not in the scale, but it's in the chord that's in the music underneath the melody at this point. And that chord is F sharp major. It's the major third. A sharp is the major third of F major. So that melody is following that chord by playing its chord tone. Coming out of the F sharp chord. But hang on. F sharp 
is the two chord in the key of E, and normally the two chord would be minor. Here's our one chord E, here's our two chord, F sharp minor, and so on. Um, normally the F sharp would be minor, but in this case it's major, and it's creating some secondary dominant push to the five chord B. So you're in E. So that chord progression would be 2-5 right there. And instead of playing the two chord as minor, you play it as major. And if you are in my fretboard theory program and you've gotten a volume two, I talk about dominant function and how you can use dominant seventh chords, or in some cases just playing major chords, and uh, to to lead up a fourth. In this case, F sharp to B, the two chord um, to the five chord. It's called a secondary dominant. Sometimes the sometimes the minor chords in the major scale will be played as major or as dominant seventh, which has a major third, because you're going to use them to lead to and push to some other chord in the scale. So here's uh, a, a good example of that. Also, the melody, which ends on B here, it's ending on B, that's B, and the A-sharp note that comes before it is your half-step leading tone. So it's got a really strong lead into that B as opposed to A natural. You know, sometimes, uh, uh, music, uh, sometimes in music composition, we like to take the, um, the, the leading tone. Think about an E major scale. The last two notes are a half step apart. The way the seventh note in the major scale leads in to the back to the tonic pitch with a half step. Sometimes we like to take that same idea and use it elsewhere in the scale, which even when that note is not normally in the scale, which is what's happening here. Using an A sharp to lead into B. So, anyway, yeah, you can go to the you could go to the YouTube video and learn this um, if you don't know it already. Um, Follow my tab. Um, it's also something that you could learn by ear, and that might be a good exercise. You probably heard the national anthem enough that you might be able to figure it out by ear. As long as you know it's in the major scale, and you know that you've got that uh, A sharp note that happens a couple times in the melody, by the way. Everything else is major scale, so you could probably figure it out by ear if you want to pull up my version of it on YouTube, but if you want to maybe ignore the tab and just listen with your ear and then see if you can find the notes on the fretboard, you know. It would be a good um, ear training exercise. Something else you could do is, you know, once you learn it in the position that I teach it, you could play it in the same notes in a different position. So maybe instead of being kind of here in between frets 4 and 7 like I'm playing, maybe you want to play off of the open E major chord and use some of the open strings. 
So you have to figure that out. Um, use your ear. You know, instead of looking for tab, use your ear, work it out, think about the notes you're playing and the initial position you learn it in, and then find those notes in another position. Maybe you come up an octave. Whoops. I'm now playing around an, an E kind of form bar chord up at the twelfth fret. Maybe I go maybe I go from that first position that I started in with the C form, but I take that up an octave, you know? I'm just playing a portion of the melody, I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but you can work it out on your own, you know. Uh, and so on. And then uh, something else you can do with this is you might want to transpose it and play it in different keys. So if you work it out and you understand how the melody connects with a familiar scale pattern or chord shape, then transposing to a different key is as simple as moving that pattern or shape. So I'm going to go back to the original position I started in with that C form, that E in C form. <laughs> So I, I know how the melody fits together in this position with this chord shape. So I can very easily transpose this by just moving that around. Here, I'll go up a fret. And I know how the rest of it's going to go based on that shape, too. And so on. So that would be a good little exercise, and you can make it all the way to the. There's that secondary dominant again. Right? And so on. So, yeah, you can practice playing it in different keys. And, again, it's just a great exercise to train your ear because you should be thinking about that melody and using your ear to guide you. And think about the melodic movement and how it fits around a familiar pattern, how it fits into a familiar pattern or how it fits around a familiar chord shape. And that's how you get to know the fretboard. If you've ever noticed how some players can just seem to jump to any position on the fretboard and they can always figure out what to play, well, that's due in part to them understanding how music connects to fretboard uh, patterns and shapes. And here's a great opportunity for you to uh, work on that concept by taking this uh, familiar melody. Now, Earlier when I did the playthrough, I was playing with a consistent click track, but you know that in the actual song, it kind of slows down at the end there, right? What key did I leave off uh, off with? I was, was I up here? No. You know, so um, when you get to like... and so on. So, you know, uh, you, it, you can slow down and let it breathe at that point um, as opposed to just staying, playing along with the steady click track like I did just in my demonstration. 
Um, and then, you know, you can get creative. I mean, if you want to turn up the drive and the volume so you can get some feedback, that would be great. Uh, Hendrix would appreciate it. Um, if you want to maybe slide or bend to some notes instead of fretting them all cleanly, you know. What about... Back up. You know, especially like the uh, uh. you know, you can try bends, slides, work on some quote articulations just to be a little bit more creative and expressive. So just have fun with it, experiment, and enjoy your Independence Day celebrations. All right, well, this concludes today's podcast episode. So now you've got some answers to some good questions, and you understand how you can play the Star Spangled Banner. If you would like to learn more about scale patterns, chord shapes, and music theory, go to my website, guitarmusictheory.com. You should be able to click on the link in the video description. If you'd like to send me some questions, or maybe you'd like to request that I discuss a topic on the podcast, you can email desi at guitarmusictheory.com. That's desi, D-E-S-I, at guitarmusictheory.com. Or you could just go to the website and click on the contact link and submit your uh, message that way. All right, guitar engineers, thanks for listening. I'm Desi Serna. Have a great week. Keep playing, and stay tuned for more. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.